0: Testing. There we go. All right. Well, good morning once again. I um, just want to remind you that we're going through our sermon series on the church this morning and we're going to be looking at multiple passages. So There's not really a Bible passage to turn to. Normally, uh, we take time to work through a book of the Bible. We preach more expositorily. We take what the scripture says and kind of work through it verse by verse, line by line. But there are important times for us to maybe take some time to consider a particular doctrine or to think through a particular topic, or think of something maybe more practical. And that's what we've been doing here in our sermon series on the church. We're considering what the Bible has to say about the church so that we can be a faithful church. We can align ourselves to what the Word of God says. We don't simply want to go through the motions of church. We want to be what God designed the church to be and do what God designed the church to do. We want to be able to follow what God says in His Word about the church. Well, last Sunday, we began to think about this idea of church membership, topic of church membership. And we're going to continue on that topic today. I said last week, this will be a two-part message. Last week, we were talking about sort of two important questions or two essential questions for church membership. They're sort of the baseline or foundation before we can get into the, the, the other aspects of membership and why it's important to the church. We asked first, how does one become a member of the local church? Whatever process a church may use to make someone a member of the church, the most essential thing to consider, in fact, the essential thing, the primary thing, the most important thing that must be done or be considered is that that person, that would be member must be a Christian, a person must be a Christian in order to be a church member. Now, I know there's a lot of churches that don't practice that, but according to God's Word, that is essential. You cannot be a member of the church without being a Christian. How does a person become a Christian? Well, Jesus told us that we need to repent of our sins, turn away from our sins, and then He said we need to believe in the Gospel. That is, to trust in Him and trust in what He did for us on the cross and in His resurrection from the dead. Those two events are what give us salvation. So for us to be saved, for us to have a right relationship with God, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins and was raised again from the dead. That's the first question. How does one become a member of the local church? The essential answer to that question is become a Christian. The second question was, what is the nature of the relationship among the members of the church? And we said that the relationships that we have with one another in the church are not really loosey-goosey or fly-by-night, right? That there is a a formal relationship that is expressed in a church covenant. And the word covenant just refers to a binding agreement that solidifies our relationships with one another in the church. And we'll talk more about that again as we get to the end of the message. Those are the first two questions. I have two more questions I want to ask and try to answer this morning. They are follow-ups to what we talked about last week. First, I want to ask, why is church membership an important part of our Christian discipleship? We've been making kind of a big deal about this, but why? Why is church membership important? Why is it important to our own discipleship? The answer to that question, I think, will reveal to us the benefits of membership. Why God would intend for us to be members in the first place. It is for our spiritual good. It is for our spiritual maturity. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. The second question I want just to kind of throw out there now, we'll pick up a little bit later on, is how do we live together in the church? How do we live together as members of a church? And the answer to that question will, I think, reveal to us the responsibilities that we have as church members one to another. So let's think first about the benefits. Why church membership is important. Why it's important to our own discipleship. How does church membership benefit us personally? How does it benefit us Corporately? Well, there's. Well, we could probably make a long list. Let me just give you four ways that I think that church membership is essential, is important to our own spiritual growth and spiritual lives. First, church membership assures us of our faith in Christ. Church membership assures us of our faith in Christ. Now, since only Christians can be church members... Membership in a local church is a public declaration that one is actually a Christian. We make that public declaration initially through baptism. We'll talk about that in another sermon. But our ongoing declaration that we are church members or that we are Christians is being part of a member of a local church. By joining a particular local church, a person testifies that he is a member of the universal church, the larger body of Christ, all of God's people of every time and place. God has, When God saves us, He brings us into His family. He incorporates us into the universal church. How do I know that I'm a part of this mystical, invisible, universal church? It is by being a member of a particular local church. In the local church, the Holy Spirit offers us assurance of our faith as we minister to one another as fellow members. The Holy Spirit works in our lives. He offers us assurance of faith. As we interact with one another, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But as we live life together as members in the local church, God uses us to encourage us and to give us assurance of faith. You know, I can see someone, I can see their testimony, I can see how they're living out their life. I can see what God is doing in their life and I can tell them, hey, I see God at work in you. I see the Lord using you as you witness to a family member. or I, I see the Lord using you as you teach that Sunday school class. Or I see the Lord using you as you serve other people within the body. When, you are, are at, when God is at work in you, it's going to come out. It's going to be manifested. And so we can see the fruitfulness, the evidence of your Christian faith as other members encourage us. The members of the church can also hold us accountable. They see our lives. They see if we are walking on that straight and narrow path. They can see if we've veered to the left or to the right. And when we have, they can call us back and say, Hey, don't you remember you've made a profession of faith as a Christian? Don't you profess? Don't you claim to follow after Christ? This is not the way. So members can hold us accountable, which again can reassure us of our faith. And just the encouragement that that, that there are other Christians who believe the same gospel, who worship the same Lord, who embrace Christ's mission, who pursue the same sanctification, who willingly link arms with us to help us in these pursuits, I think, bolsters our faith in Christ. It assures us that we are truly trusting in Him. It would be very hard, I think, to be a Lone Ranger Christian. But when I hear you sing the same songs I sang this morning, that's such an encouragement that there are other people who who believe those truths that we've just sung. When I hear others hearing the Word of God, the same gospel message, who believe the same Bible, who desire to put it into practice in their lives, that's encouraging to us. Jonathan Lehman has written a couple of books where he talks, uses an illustration. One of them is his book, Church Membership, I used last week. There's another book called Rediscover Church, which incidentally we have free copies of on the back table. If you'd like to pick one up and and follow along, I'm not necessarily tying myself to this book, but it's just some encouraging reminders of things we've been talking about week after week. There are plenty of copies in the back table. Feel free to pick one up. But he uses an illustration in this book and also in his book Church Membership of an embassy, an embassy, a political embassy that describes or illustrates the way that our church membership assures us of our faith. An embassy is an institution that represents one nation inside of another nation. It declares the home nation's interest to the host nation. And it protects the citizens of the home nation living in the host nation. Lehman tells the story of a time when he lived in Belgium as a student. And he was a few weeks away from his passport. Well, he was a few weeks away from returning home back to the United States when his passport expired. And he knew that would be a problem both in Belgium, living as a Foreigner in that country, according to the laws of their land, it would also be a problem when he came home. So what did he do? He went to the U.S. Embassy there in Brussels, and he had them renew his passport. Why did he go to the U.S. Embassy? Because they were the embassy, they were the political body there that represented the interests of American citizens and the American government. The, um, the embassy did not make him an American citizen, but it affirmed that he was already an American citizen by renewing his passport. And that's what the church does for us. The church does not make a person a Christian. Just simply coming to church does not make a person a Christian. Becoming a member does not make a person a Christian. But the church declares that we are indeed followers of Jesus. And so in that sense, the church is the embassy of heaven. Representing the interests of our heavenly home, even as we live in this world that presently hosts us. So church membership assures us of our faith in Christ. Secondly, church membership bears witness about Christ to the world. When we are church members, we mark ourselves as Christians. We are not simply like everyone else who lives out in the world. But we are distinct. We are unique. And so when we become members of the church, we identify ourselves as Christians to one another, certainly. But we also mark ourselves as Christians to the world. Being a church member testifies of our allegiance to Christ. We are citizens of his kingdom. Our changed lives mark us off from the world. And as the world wonders why we are different, we bear witness to them about Christ, the Christ who has redeemed us. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter five, verses 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. And Peter writes in first Peter, chapter two, verses nine through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter there tells us what we are. A separated people, a holy nation, a a priestly class, a chosen people. And what does that then signify to the world? It signifies that we are not like the Gentiles. That our good works, our good deeds, our deeds born out of Christ that work in our lives. So that we are now different and distinct from them. So that when they see us and they, they call us evildoers, they know there is something different about us and we give glory to God as a result of that. So bearing witness to Christ as a church ultimately has an evangelistic purpose. When we are members of a church, that is an evangelistic purpose or an evangelistic function. Because by our witness, we call people to believe the gospel and be saved. Third, church membership edifies the church. Church membership edifies the church. We need to remember that our discipleship is a community project. And church membership helps us. To remember that if we're going to grow in Christ, we need other Christians to help us and we need to help other Christians. God uses all of his people in a local church to edify that church. And Paul writes about this so beautifully in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ "...until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to grow up in Him, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love." So if the church is central to God's redemptive purpose, and we saw, saw that a few weeks ago, then it makes sense that He would have us to be part of the local church in order to build it up and to strengthen it and edify it. And fourth and lastly, why is church membership so important? What, what are the privileges of membership? The last one is that membership brings glory to God. Church membership brings glory to God. The church displays God's glory. And all that we do, the church, is to display God's glory. It displays God's glory to one another, and it displays God's glory to the world. How does the church display God's glory? Well, first of all, it shows that we are trophies of His sovereign grace. We are a testimony to what He has done for us in Christ. It shows His good work. It shows His redemption. It shows His salvation. So when we join a church and participate in its life, We are displaying God's work of grace because it is a work that he alone gets glory for. But secondly, we, as a church, display God's glory when God is actively at work in us and among us. We bear witness to his blessing and to his sanctification. We reveal that he is present and active in us. That he is accomplishing his sovereign and good work in us and through us. We saw this back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to God. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We also saw Peter say this in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God on the day of visitation. So those are the reasons why we ought to be members. It is for our spiritual good. It is for us to be able to accomplish God's purposes for the world. Let's think now for the rest of our time about the responsibilities of church membership. What responsibilities does the New Testament make of us as church members? Or we can think about it this way. What does church membership require of me? What does it mean for me to be a member of the local church? How do the members relate to one another in this formalized, covenantal relationship that we agree upon in membership? Let me summarize those answers in three broader categories, okay? And we're going to be here in the first one for a little while. So the first way, the first set of responsibilities that we have to one another, the first set of instructions or commands that are given to us as church members to indicate our responsibilities to one another can be described by the New Testament word alelone, which simply means one another. The New Testament describes our membership commitment to the local church by this Greek word that means one another. We participate in the life of the local church by, I'm going to just make this as a verb, okay, one anothering. We are to one another together. And by this one anothering, we are helped in our discipleship by the other members of the church. So you all help me in my own discipleship, my own advancement in my spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. All of you, God is using all of you to help me out. But it's also the way in which I help you. God is using me to help all of you in all of your discipleship. And it's not just because I'm the pastor. I'm just a church member at this point, okay? Just think of you as a plain old church member. So the same thing I'm saying about myself is true for all of you. God is using your fellow church members to help you in your spiritual progress. And God is using you to help all of your other church members in their spiritual progress. So the sum effect of living out the one another's, Include mutual discipleship of the members. We all are growing in our discipleship. It includes the edification of the church. It includes a strong and vibrant witness to the world. And it includes the glorification of our great God. So what are these one another's that we do for the other members of the body that we receive from the other members of the body of Christ here at this local church? You can do a concordance search. I did. There are a lot of verses. I found at least, I think, 18 one another's. All right? We're going to go through them. First one's the longest one, but then we'll go through them in a pretty quick clip. Okay? Now, again, I'm not simply here to show you that I can use a concordance. I'm here to remind us of what God expects of us as church members for one another. So, chief among all of these one another commands is the command for us to love one another. Jesus told his disciples before on the night of the Last Supper, John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are so just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I could go through another probably eight or nine verses that say something similar. Now, this command for us to love one another is obviously rooted in the second greatest commandment that jesus gave to his disciples you remember that the religious leaders had, had come, come to jesus to test him and ask him well what is the greatest commandment of the law and he responded that the first and greatest commandment was to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength but then he didn't stop there he continued on mark twelve thirty one. he says the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these So Jesus here is tying those two commandments together, that to love God, if you're going to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, that it's somehow loving God entails loving your neighbors and that when you love your neighbors, that is somehow a display of showing love for God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus ties these things together. So loving our neighbors indicates or displays our love for God and true love for God is displayed in love of our neighbor. Now, for the Christian, the first application of loving one's neighbor is to love one's fellow church members. We love one another because of our new filial relationship in Christ. That just simply means that we are all members of his family. If you are a Christian and you have professed your faith in Christ, you are a brother or a sister in Christ. And because we are members of God's family, as we live that out here in this place, it would mean that we are to love one another. We love one another because we're part of the same family. We love one another also because we've received God's love. And His love has changed us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses seven, verse 7 and then verse 11, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because God's love has come to us and transformed us. That love will be expressed in our love for one another. We are to love one another because God has loved us. And we love one another with God's kind of love, the love we receive from God. We've received his love in the gospel. And his love has changed us through the gospel. So to reflect God's character, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we express that love in a way that is parallel to Christ's love for us. How did Christ love us? What does the scripture say about God's love and Christ's love for us? Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ showed his love for us in dying for us. First John four, 10 in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And how did he love us? He sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus showed his love to us in sacrifice. He showed his love to us in laying down his life for our salvation. So love is not merely emotional. Love can have an emotional quality to it. Oftentimes it does. But love is not merely emotional. It is active. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is self-denying. So that the expression of our love is in our actions for one another. Paul writes of this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 6, when he says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So loving one another is really an imitation of Jesus' love for us. We love one another by laying down our lives for the edification of others in the body of Christ. And so since loving one another is the chief one another in the New Testament, it really becomes the umbrella for all the other one another's that I'm going to talk about this morning. Because those one another's are practical expressions of how we love the body of Christ. So let's think about those other expressions of loving one another. In Romans 15 verse 7, we're told that we're to welcome one another. Therefore, welcome one another As Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That word welcome means in the Greek language to take to oneself or to receive. And think about what Paul wrote there in Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we do for others what Christ has done for us. And what has Christ done for us? He has welcomed us. He has received us. He has taken us unto himself. And so what do we do with the other members of the body of Christ? We welcome them. We receive them as our own. We receive them as our own family. We take them unto ourselves in this covenantal relationship that we share with one another. We also honor one another. We honor one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul writes, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. We use this with our kids when they were little, trying to teach them what honor means and as in any family there's always that the sibling rivalries, right? And those, you know, kids fighting over a toy or can't get along about this and that. So we're trying to trying to to explain to them what does it mean to love one another in your family? What does it mean to honor one another? And so we used a definition, I don't remember the exact thing now, but the part of that definition was to treat other people as special. Simply to treat them as special. Don't think of them as your enemy but think think of them as your brother or your sister and treat them specially because of that. We also talked about doing more than what's expected. So in other words, we would tell our kids there were certain things that they ought to do for one another, but we wanted them to go above and beyond. Don't just simply follow into that sort of that baseline pattern, but go above and beyond. Treat other people as special. And that's certainly what we can do as members of the body of Christ. We treat our brothers and sisters as special. We do more than what is expected for their good and not some selfish benefit. We honor one another. Fourth, we are to be kind to one another. That's simply what Ephesians 4.32 says. We're to treat others with kindness that reflects God's own kindness to us. Again, His kindness in receiving us and in loving us and in saving us. Fifth, we serve one another. We serve one another just as Jesus served us. Galatians chapter five, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another through love, serve one another. So there was this great boast of the Galatians that we are free. We have this freedom in Christ. But Paul says, don't use it as a license for your own opportunity, for your own benefit. Instead, take that freedom and understand that you have this opportunity to serve to enslave yourself to your brothers and sisters in Christ and you do it through love. 1 Peter 4:10 says as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as God, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Number 6, we're to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's bur- burdens. That's Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. So serving others means that we're going to be able... need to help others during their time of need. Think so of a burden as a, as a heavy load that one carries, right? When we bear one of those burdens, we come alongside of them and lift that burden to make it lighter and to help them in that particular need or that particular season. Number seven, we're to do good to one another. Do good to one another. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone... And especially to those who are the household of faith. That household there again refers to God's family. As we have opportunity, we are to do good for one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15 says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Number eight, we are to encourage one another. Encourage one another. The word encourage simply means to put courage into so by living together as members in the body of Christ, as we're doing these one anothering things, as we're serving one another and loving one another, we are encouraging, we are pouring courage into our brothers and sisters to make them strong, to be able to go out into the world and to live courageously for Christ and follow His ways. Encouragement can take many different forms. It can take the form of edification, of building up, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encouragement takes the form of exhortation so that we keep each other from sin. In other words, we can see people straying from, from the straight and narrow path and we go and encourage them and exhort them to not go down that path but to come back. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragement takes the form of prompting good works of love in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another. Number nine, sing to one another. Have you ever thought about singing to one another as being a way of serving and loving on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul writes of this twice in his letters, first in Ephesians 5, 9, where he says we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. And Colossians 3, verse 16 says he, we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is so encouraging, right? And personally, for me, this is one of my favorite ones. And you might think oh, it's a little bit odd, right? Because we know about loving and serving and encouraging, but singing to one another is a great tool that God has given to us—a great means of grace that God has given to us to encourage one another in the body of Christ. Right? I was having lunch this week with one of our college students, and he mentioned we were talking about you know what is it that really has attracted you to our church, and what do you love about our church? And he said, "It's the, one of the things is the singing." I can hear the people singing these great songs about God and great songs about the gospel. It's just so encouraging and so fulfilling and so strengthening. And I would say that's true. When we're seeing these same songs, of, know I'm sitting in my seat or standing up, worshiping God, praising Him, but to hear the other brothers and sisters singing these very same truths, man, I mean, it really just lifts my heart to realize I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who... Has, I haven't bowed my knee to Baal, Right? Remember Elijah? Man, Elijah had this great thing that happened to him, right? He had just seen God light the fire and really diminish all of the, 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 the prophets and priests of Baal. And what does he do? He runs out into the wilderness, just kind of sucking his thumb and putting himself under a blanket. He says, everybody's bowed their knee to Baal. No, not everyone has bowed their knee to Baal. When people in the church are singing the same songs about Christ, the same songs about the gospel, the same songs about how God is working in us, Man, how reassuring is that? And so we are to sing to one another, we are to address one another, we are to teach and admonish. You know that we're teaching each other when we're singing these songs? That we believe these things to be true, that we ought to walk in these things. How encouraging to sing to one another. Number ten, we're to comfort one another. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse eleven. And the word the word comfort in our English word comfort comes from a, a Latin etymology, which means strength together. In other words, when we are comforting one another, we're coming alongside one another so as to strengthen another person by our presence with them and by our ministry to them. We're strengthening each other. We're building each other. We're, we're giving each other comfort and, and hope. Number 11, we are to forgive one another. Forgive one another. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says that we are to forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. When we forgive one another, we no longer hold the sins of others to our to their accounts. That happens, right? We're fallen people. We still sin against one another. We still hurt one another. But when we forgive one another, we no longer allow those hurts and those sins to impact my life, we no longer hold those sins to another person's account. We forgive one another. Number twelve, we're to be at peace with one another. Jesus says this in Mark chapter nine, verse fifty: Be at peace with one another. Live peacefully. Romans 10, 12, 16, and fifteen five. Paul writes: Live in harmony with one another. In Second Corinthians thirteen eleven, he says: Agree with one another. We're to have peacefulness among the body of Christ. Number 13, bear with one another. Bear with one another. Colossians 3.13 and Ephesians 4.2 just say this very same thing. Bear with one another. Again, sometimes our relationships in the body of Christ are strained. Perhaps there is conflict that breeds hurt feelings or distrust. Perhaps there is frustration with a weaker brother. Perhaps there is the disappointment of having to defer to another member that then leaves our own needs unmet. The members of the church are called to bear with one another, to be patient with one another, to persevere and endure with one another so that God continues to work in their hearts and accomplishes his purposes. Number 14, we're to confess our sins to one another. James five sixteen says that very thing. Confess your sins to one another. By confessing our sins to one another, we remind ourselves that we are sinners in need of God's help. We need Christ's forgiveness. When we confess our sins, we can encourage the confessing one by reminding them of the gospel, that Christ indeed died for our sins, that we have the assurance of his pardon and acceptance, that the path of righteousness is still laid before us to walk in. We can also hold one another accountable to keep us from doing those sins in the future. Confess your sins to one another. Number 15, We're to pray for one another. James 5.16. I'll say more about that one in just a little bit. Number 16, submit to one another. Submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word submit just simply means in the Greek language to order or arrange. It was typically used in a military sense where they had the arrangement of the soldiers. They were sort of the the, the list of of commanding officers and how the the soldiers would would be regimented and who was in charge of each group and what the chain of command was going to be. When we submit to one another, we arrange or order our lives to the needs of our brothers and sisters. We offer ourselves to our fellow members. We humble ourselves by denying the right to ourselves and we honor others by deferring to them. Number 17, we show humility to one another. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, again, the essence of Christ's love for us is a humbling of himself, a sacrifice of himself so that we could be saved. We are to show humility to one another, First Peter five five. And then finally, number eighteen, we're to show hospitality to one another. Show hospitality to one another, first Peter four nine. The word hospitality in Greek literally means to love strangers, to love foreigners. And the Jewish culture When a foreigner was traveling through your town, you were duty-bound by that culture to invite that foreigner into your home and to meet their needs for as long as they stayed in your house. Every need was the host's responsibility. And so in this context, Christian hospitality is an opportunity for us to show kindness and generosity to others, to invite them into our homes, to meet their needs, to engage in spiritual conversations, to to be a source of accountability, to be a source of prayerfulness. To be a source of encouragement. Well, these one another's command and defined what the Christian life should look like among the members of the body of Christ. These are the benefits that we receive from others to help us in our own spiritual maturation. But this is also the ministry that we offer to one another in their discipleship, in their spiritual progress. So it's important that we keep these things before us and strive to live them out continually before one another. And so we can categorize again that first set of responsibilities. We're still under the responsibilities that we have as church members. We can categorize all of those responsibilities under the phrase one another, the one another commands of the New Testament. Second responsibility we have as members of the church is to use our gifts and talents and skills for the edification of the church and its members. We have the responsibility to use our gifts and talents and skills for the edification of the church and its members. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, which I'm not going to read now just for the sake of time, but you can read it later. We read there that Paul uses the illustration, the analogy, we talked about this a few weeks ago, of the human body. And how the human body is one body that's composed of many parts of the body. And that all of those parts are necessary for the healthy functioning of that body. And just in a similar way, God has built his church. God has designed the body of Christ to be one body composed of many members so that every member contributes to the healthy function of the church. So by each member playing the role that God has given him, the church is built up, it's edified. It's essential that we all make our individual contributions to the health and edification of the church. What happens if we lose an eye? Well, we can still function, right? It's not that we die because we lose an eye. It doesn't render a mortal blow to our bodies. But it does limit our bodies to function in the way that God intended. Can we get along without a hand or a foot? Yes, absolutely. But that's not how God designed the body. The optimal functioning that God designed his body for is limited. So every member has the responsibility to use whatever gifts and abilities and skills to edify the church and its members. And those gifts and abilities and skills can include very, and do include, very practical things. I'm reminded that when God gave the instructions to build the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it says that he filled ordinary men with the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. Exodus chapter 31, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri." ...son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship... ...to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. This was a very ordinary thing, right? Building. Well, in some way it wasn't. It was building the tabernacle of God. This is a worship shrine for the people of Israel... But it was, in a sense, an every, every ordinary, everyday ordinary skills that were required to be able to do this. And yet God filled ordinary men with his Holy Spirit to be able to use those ways in a way that would glorify God and edify the nation of Israel. If there is a contribution that you could make to our church that you are not making, then I would encourage you to speak to an elder. Speak to me, speak to one of the other elders, so that we can pray with you and think through how we can utilize that gift for the edification of the church. As a church, we also have some tasks and ministries that are need to be done on a regular basis or that we would like to be able to utilize. Maybe they are not being utilized right now. We'd like to be able to have those things in place so that our church can run with more efficiency and, and again, optimize the function that God designed for us. So things like, you know, running the projector with the sermon outlines and the words for our singing, Or helping Alan to run the sound booth, or in a day when Alan's not here, run the sound booth. Or greeting people as they come to church on Sunday morning, passing out bulletins. Or helping to clean up on Wednesday night after our Wednesday evening meal. Or teaching a Sunday school class, or maybe filling in for a Sunday school class for a teacher that maybe has to be out on a particular week. There's so many things. In fact, the elders have gone through and devised a list of things that we see are important needs to be done, important tasks that need to be accomplished. That we've put on the back table a sign-up list. And we would just ask you, we've been putting it in the bulletin for the last few weeks, Adam's been announcing it, just reminding you to after church, we go through and look at that list, see what's on that list, prayerfully think about those things for a week or two and come back and jot your name down. So that what we would want to do as part of this series, as, as elders and leaders of the church, is to kind of get ourselves back together, get ourselves organized. It's been two years of 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 COVID, right, that has been kind of scattering all of us. We're we're all back now. We're all going to push forward. We want to get ourselves organized. We tried to do this two years ago. We're going to get back on it and do it again so that we can be again the church that we desire God for, that God wants us to be. So I just encourage you to uh, prayerfully consider that over the next few weeks. The elders will take that list in a few weeks and begin organizing it and get ourselves in a place where we're functioning, again, for better efficiency, for the sake of the edification of the church that there's something that's on, the, that's on the list that you think you can contribute, maybe you're not very technical, maybe you're not very good with maybe working around people, maybe you like to work more behind the scenes. Whatever it may be that you have that you want to be able to contribute, please let an elder know so that we can maximize that for the glory of God and for the good of the church. Third and last responsibility that we have as members, church members, to fulfill our covenant obligations to each other. The third the responsibility that we have as church members is to fulfill our covenant obligations to each other. Last week, I made mention of the church covenant. We even read it before communion. And I had a couple of people say, hey, can I get a copy of that? So we've made a copy of the church covenant at, on the back table over there, right in front of the sound booth. I've had a couple of people say, hey, you know what? I just want a copy of this, put it in my Bible. I want to read those scripture passages that are, are cross-references for those things that we said that we'll do for one another. A lot of them are ones we've talked about and read this morning. Some said, I want to stick it in my Bible so that when I do my prayer time, I can be praying for these things for myself and I can be praying for them, for the members of the church. So by all means, please pick up a copy of the church covenant and use it as a prayer tool. But we talked about this last week about our commitment to one another, that this covenant is a binding agreement that we make to one another as members of this church. We devote ourselves to doing these things for one another as long as we are members of this church. Now, I don't have time to go through this covenant line by line. And in fact, we've covered a good many of the things in the message area this morning. A lot of the things that are in here are those one another things. OK, But so let me just point out a couple of things, three things real quick that we haven't addressed yet that I think are important to emphasize. All right. So first, we expect our members to attend services regularly. We attend. We expect our members to attend services regularly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've just talked in length about the one another's. It's awfully hard to one another when you're not with one another. right? To do the one another's, we have to be together with one another. To be able to edify the the body with our gifts and talents and abilities, we have to, to be with one another. It's hard to live out our covenant obligations to one another when we are not assembling with the body. So again, I would encourage you with whatever pastoral influence I may have in your life to make this as much a non-negotiable priority as you possibly can. Again, illnesses come up. Yes, there are times we are out of town. But let's not try to weigh between whether I should be in church or something else. Let's make sure that this is a priority. Let's make sure that we are attending these services regularly because I need you to help me and you need me to help you. So let's make this an expectation. Let's make make this a non-negotiable priority. Secondly, we expect our members to pray for one another regularly. James 5.16 says pray for one another. We encourage one another. We bear one another's burdens when we are praying for one another. By praying for one another, we carry a fellow member's need to the Father's throne for help. What an incredible blessing that God has given to us in this means of grace of prayer. This is what we're striving to do corporately at our Wednesday evening prayer meeting. So if you have a prayer need, I can't think of a better place to share that than on Wednesday evening. Come and share your needs and let the body pray for you. But even if you don't have any needs at all to pray pray for yourself, come and pray for those who do, right? Because if someone else has a prayer need, they are expecting and needing and wanting others to pray for them and with them in that time. So let me just put that out there as another pastoral encouragement. We can also pray for one another individually in our personal prayer times. So let me encourage you to use the membership directory. We've got some again on the back table. We're gonna to have to update this pretty soon, so this is a temporary copy, or copy at the present moment, because we're gonna be having some new members come into our body. But take the church prayer list or take the, the church membership directory and use it as your personal prayer list. I didn't count it this week, but I think that if you took a family per day, you could pray for every family in the church every month. The entire church would be covered if you prayed just for one family a day. If you prayed for, say, four or five families a day. You could pray for the whole church in one week. So this isn't just simply a way for us to get in contact with one another. This is an opportunity for us to pray for one another. You could also even text that family, text the person in that family, on the day you're praying for them, saying, do you have any prayer needs? Like I'm, this is your prayer day, right? It's Wednesday, February, the whatever day it's going to be, 9th. I'm going to pray for your family. Do you have anything I can pray for? Or... If you pray for them, maybe shoot them a quick text to say, hey, I pray for you today. Would you not find that encouraging? I would be overwhelmed if I got text messages of people saying, I pray for you today. That would just buoy me up. That's how we can encourage one another in this effort to pray for one another. All right? Those are just two practical examples, the Wednesday prayer meeting and the church directory. Third and last thing of our, our covenantal responsibilities, we expect our members to give regularly. We expect our members to give regularly. One of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart, the Christmas one, right? And one of my favorite lines in that movie is when, uh, the angel Clarence comes to George Bailey, right? He's the, George's gonna commit suicide and the angel comes to rescue him, prevent him from doing that. He's his guardian angel, gonna help him out. And George kinda of finally relents and says, well, you got $8,000. Right. Because that's what he really needs. He's missed. Well, his uncle has lost the $8,000 and he's on the hook for it. And he's going to go to jail. It's a great scandal. So he's asking Clarence for $8,000 and Clarence responds. Well, we don't use money in heaven. And George replies, well, it comes in pretty handy down here, bub." And I would agree with that statement. Right. It comes in pretty handy down here. God's work through the church will not be thwarted by money. It will not be the kingdom of God. When Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he was talking also about money. The lack of money will not defeat God's church. But it does come in pretty handy. There are certain commitments that we have made as a church that require money as a part of doing business in this world. We've chosen to own property. We've chosen to have this beautiful building and a a beautiful um, education building for Sunday school and for Bible studies. we've chosen to um, have certain services to be able amenities. we'd like the lights right and air conditioning to be able to uh, serve those who come and worship here well. We use money to do ministry, both among our members and for outsiders. The part that I don't like talking about because it seems to me a little bit self-serving it feels like a conflict of interest. Money provides income for the pastor so that I can devote my time to you and to serve you and to provide for your spiritual needs through studying the Word or counseling or whatever kind of ministry the Lord would direct me to do. allows us to have a staff. allows me to have Chris. What a blessing Chris has been since she has been our office manager now. A little, what, over two years, Chris? Is that right? Okay? Do you appreciate the slides to sing the songs to and the, the, um, uh, the PowerPoint notes? Do you appreciate the copies of the church covenant and the, um, the church directory that she formatted and printed out, we are able to do the help that it provides for me personally. We're able to do those things because God's people commit, because God's people contribute to the needs of the church. So we have the responsibility to give regularly to see that we are mutually benefiting from all these things that we have for us. For our needs, for our ability to meet here and to worship and to disciple and to fellowship. According to Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 and 7, giving is more than a responsibility. It is a joyful privilege. Okay. That's the responsibilities. To one another's, our gifts, talents, and abilities, our covenantal responsibilities to one another. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus promised, I will build my church. Mark Dever in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, writes, If Jesus is committed to the church, should we be any less committed to it? We ought to thank God for the blessing of the local church. We should thank God for our membership in the local church. Our prayer would be that God would so work in us to bless us by being a committed member of the body, and to help us fulfill our commitments to one another so that His church is edified and so that He is glorified among us and among the nations. We thank God for this unspeakable privilege of being a member in the local church. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, we are thankful for the church and we are thankful for the provision of membership that it is... One body made of many parts. and As we have said often, Lord, how different the parts are. What variety you have blessed our church with. We are so thankful, Lord, to be part of this body. We are so thankful for how you have used the members of this body in in my own life personally. And I'm thankful, Lord, for how you have allowed me to contribute to their lives. Individually and corporately. That's how you've designed it to be. We want to glorify you, Lord. We want to be healthy. We want to be vibrant. We want to be properly functioning. We want to be accomplishing your purpose. We want to be on mission with your mission in this world. So, Father, would you help us to see our own membership, our own commitment, first of all, to this church? Will you help us to be firmly rooted, Lord, as members and to devote ourselves wholeheartedly to this congregation? And would you help us, Lord, to do these things for one another in their lives so that they might be discipled and edified, so that the church might be strengthened, so that the world might, be, might see our witness, and so that you might be glorified. We love you, Lord. Just pray that you would do your work in us for Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.